Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Monday, May 2nd, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 16-year young adult survivor of breast cancer, and we're your host for the Stupid Cancer Show. Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, it is all about the parents, folks. It's going to be a great show. We've got Bonnie Julius, bereaved parent and president and co-founder of Cricket's Answer for Cancer, which is in name of her daughter, Cricket. We've got Adelina Plate, who's a thyroid cancer survivor and a parent of the young adult survivor, Dorian Plate, who's in our Survivor Spotlight tonight, young adult survivor of thyroid cancer. Alrighty, folks, as a reminder, as always, this broadcast is a production of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation online at stupidcancer.com. We help young adults fight cancer every day, and we're bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs, because it's not okay, not okay. that 70,000, preach it, brother, it's not okay <laughs> that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. So, hello, our friends, and welcome back. Yet another fun and exciting romp to the hand tonight. Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure and survivorship is really all that matters. Hello, Matthew, Hello, and Lisa. a stupid cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes and on Ustream as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. All right, the radio show has a live interactive chat read, which is currently on fire with about 30 people in there right now. Nice. Uh, the chat room is live during each broadcast. We invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, ask questions of our guests, and just poke around our community. Good stuff. Excellent. Um, I am thrilled to announce that back in our studio tonight, celebrating her birthday, the venerable, unique, one and only... Amanda Freeman. Look at her go. Hello, Matt. Hi, Lisa. Our broadcast production assistant is back. She's a couple days shy. May 4th is your birthday, right? Correct. Two days shy. Yes. But we had a little birthday celebration tonight (laughs) as her pointy party hat will attest. Yes, Yes, pointy party hats. Good stuff. 
so how, how 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 are you? I'm fantastic. That's the right answer. <laughs> I am. I feel great. Um, you know, just the more taught. Excuse me. The more time that goes by since I've ended chemo, um, just the stronger I get. And when was your last day of chemo? It's sad that I can't even remember. People are supposed to remember thing. stuff like that. That's a good thing you can't remember. <laughs> um, I Four weeks ago today, so right. whatever day that was. That would be April 2nd. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all right. Amanda, to me, just embodies everything that this organization is about. Yes. Osteosarcoma, original diagnosis in the jaw, right? Correct. And then we've had uh, some uh, in your in your lungs. Some metastases. Some, some ha- metastases in the lungs. You've had two surgeries for that, right? Yes. Been through chemo, on a clinical trial. But just, you know, you're at Columbia. Uh, you know, you're so kick-ass that you were an awesome bassoonist and then transferred from, <laughs> went from Eastman's, or graduated from Eastman's School of Music, right? Correct. Columbia, undergrad, pre-med. Yes. But all the issues, Amanda and I were talking today, actually driving into the show, all of her issues about insurance and job and, you know, the layers of things that you have to go through as a college student, uh, worrying about all that when you're just trying to get healthy and get through everything. It's just Yeah, it madness. sucks when you don't have cancer. Yeah. <laughs> Let alone when you do. This is true. I also want to welcome back James. Um, Manning is his last you. name. Oh, my God. Yes. And I, was, I don't know. You know what it is? I typed your name into an email today, and I came up with a guy named James Meeks. I don't know who that is. So I've had your last name as Meeks in my head all day. I'll type it out, and I'll put it on your No, desk. James Manning. James P. But what does the P stand for? Don't ask. Peter? Don't ask. Paul? No. Peter, Mary? No. <laughs> <laughs> Old family name that will go on and on forever, but I'll tell you later. Potter? So, well, we'll move on. But here's the thing about James. Platypus. <laughs> here's, no. here's the thing about James. Pterodactyl. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> he's not Meeks. He's Manning. That's right. That's right. James Manning. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, you are not Amanda's replacement. No. No, I am not. <laughs> but it there seems like he really deserves my title, and he's been doing a whole lot more no, than I ever did. No, 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 no. No, you guys are equally you keep your fantastic. Title. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, he is broadcast production assistant point 2.0. <laughs> really? I thought he was Kenny Kane Jr. Oh, my God. No, no, no. Wow. He is That's so too not. scary. <laughs> That's an insult. That is an absolute insult. To Kenny or to me? To Kenny. He doesn't have any red hair. No, he doesn't. No. So he can't be Kenny Kane Jr. No. But Kenny's listening, so we can Kenny's mock him. Kenny's always as we listening. Yeah. Kenny, I missed you today. Yes, Amanda missed you, Kenny, wherever you are. Kenny Kane's our VP of operations for those yes. who are first-time listeners. Very nice. And he's got very he's got some red hair on him. Just a whole bunch of red red hair. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so so there was some news. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest news in the world right now was yeah. that my kids turned one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is the biggest news in the world. The biggest news in the world dun, is that dun, Hannah dun. and Kobe and Matt's are, world. are one year old. Next to Amanda turning 26. Next to Amanda turning 26 and my kids turning one year old. My kids get this just because I can, and I'm their dad, and we had an amazing birthday party this weekend, and they get all sorts of presents, which I'm very thrilled that I can now split between my house, my parents' house, and my in-laws' house. Because we ain't got no room for this stuff. Did you get them each iPads? They all have iPads now. Yeah. They each have two iPads. <laughs> in case the first one breaks. Yeah. Smash. Then we send the second one up for repair. When the second one breaks, the new one comes back. Right. That's it's, a, it's, a, it's childhood. It's it's an um, infallible childhood supply chain solution. Very well done, Matthew. Yes, I do it. Um, 
So they got they got so much crap that they're spilling over it into Grandma and Grandpa's house and everything. It's good. It's good. Yeah. I mean, Candy was there and uh, James was there and a Brower was there. Dana generally our HR person was there. Bunch of we we didn't do like the giant people have these birthday parties with like it's like a it's like a wedding yeah for your kids or a bar mitzvah or something too big we yeah. don't need that we had a nice well you, are, you didn't spend seventy grand no we spent <laughs> like seventy dollars <laughs> they are one after all they are one year old yeah maybe when they're five you'll spend seventy grand no when they're thirteen I'll spend two thousand dollars an hour because they're getting barred about to sit on the same day. So that'll be a mess. Anyway, just wait till college. Moving on, uh, the second. Uh, sorry, Amanda was the. My kids are the first news. Amanda is the second news. The third news is that Kenny and I uh, went up to Vermont this weekend for something called the Stowe Weekend of Hope, which I was invited to randomly three weeks ago. I didn't know what it was. I've been heard about it for a couple of years now. Something like eight hundred to a thousand people descend upon Stowe. It's like the OMG Summit, but not our generation. It's a really meaningful event with a lot of you know, older adults, 50s, largely 60s and 70s. But there's been like this growing young adult sort of like weed, if you would, in the mix up there. And two years ago, some young adults came and they felt really pissed that they were the only people there. So they made a stink. And then last year, they had a little young adult panel that came and that wasn't good enough. So this year, they wanted me to come. But of course, they didn't tell me to come until like three days before the damn conference. So I flew up there. Mind you, this is the day before my kids were. This is the Friday before the Saturday of the birthday party. So right, I can't even believe you left town I the left day town. before the birthday party. I, I did. I, did. I flew back at six a.m. with Kenny on Saturday morning. But uh, I got to tell you, there's a lot of energy up there. I mean, it wasn't really. It was like the Banker Sisters. You know, it was very. Um, Didn't you stay with like the, at the Van, Von Trapp family home or something? I like stayed. Sound of music style. Stovermont. Interestingly enough, is where the Von Trapp family settled from Germany when they came over here. And I stayed at the Von Trapp estate, which is like this little schnitzel neighborhood <laughs> of, of uh, it's just an amazing little town um, that they've carved. And of course, then Stowe, the mountain, the ski resort, the, you know, the insane Vail, Colorado-ish thing that right. it is. And then you got to the conference and everybody started singing, how do you solve a problem like Matthew Zachary? <laughs> <laughs> so were they piping in Edelweiss and they were, Andrews they were. over the loudspeaker? Well, we had to start at the very beginning, which is a very good place to start. <laughs> oh, we could go on all yeah. night, folks. Uh, anyway, I got up there, I gave a 20-minute speech, um, and I dropped the F-bomb. Nice. Knowing that the crowd was like 85% over the age of 60. That you go, Matt. You'd goose them. I did. You'd verbally goose them. But I did, I did take a pause and I say, you know, and, and I'm here to say, with love, <laughs> fuck this. And you heard this collective like, <gasps> like seven people with pacemakers passed oh, out. And, and then you heard, clear. Yes. <laughs> but overall, uh, I'm going to go back next year as long as it's not again on my kid's birthday. But I think it's a really interesting concept. It's not the OMG Summit. You know, it's not some one-up thing. It's a full immersive weekend experience in the middle of nowhere. It's free to go. Just to pay. See, it's not really the middle of nowhere. People, people who ski—that's not you. They know about Stowe. Contraire, mon frere. I actually <laughs> skied from the age of three <laughs> to the age of seventeen. You did? I snow skied for fourteen years. Okay. Last show you said you played racquetball. Now you're saying that you claim to be a skier as a child. I couldn't ski I've anymore. I've seen zero athleticism. Except from your opposable thumbs. <laughs> uh, I love my opposable <laughs> thumbs. Since I've known you. 
No, in all honesty, uh, my father was the uh, president of the ski club at the high school that I went to. But all the years prior to my being a student there, I tagged along on all the high school trips. Huh. So I was that three-year-old in the puffy outfit with no poles, arms <laughs> stretched out, Jesus style, <laughs> like with nothing but gravity to save my life. Bombing you, bombing yeah. down the hill. That was me. Yeah. Yeah. From age That's three cool. to age seventeen. Yeah. I did great. not know that. Uh huh. So the next time First Ascent has their um, if First 80s ski ball, like I can borrow equipment and uh, gear from you. If First Ascent, and let this be a call to Brad right now, if First Ascent ever does a skiing retreat. I will go to that. So will I. Yes. Well, that's got to happen next. I'll strap hey, on hey, Sabia, those uh, bindings and boots. John Sabia, our masterful. We're not. Are we live streaming tonight? No. Oh, the live stream is dead. Okay. The dead stream. The dead stream. <laughs> All right. So everybody's not going to get to see Amanda eat her popcorn shrimp. I mean, I wore makeup today. <laughs> I know. She wore I know. makeup. Come on, John. A dress. She's got her popcorn shrimp. All right. Well, Shoes and right. first Needless match. to say, we need to Isn't find an alternate solution to Ustream. Isn't there a country music song called I Shade My Legs for This? <laughs> nice. If not, there shouldn't be. I like that song. There is. there is. All right. We have 45 people in the chat room. I want to get to Dory, but let's very briefly, obviously, we have to talk about Osama bin Laden yes. was killed, and I think that gets another one of these things. <laughs> so they were jamming in the streets all over, all over. But let's talk about this. Don't you think connected to him was what may have been the most, I hate to sort of say this, but kind of fortuitous uh, cancer diagnosis and subsequent passing connected to him because they were able to identify his body through a DNA match with his sister who died of cancer in Boston, and the government saved her brain. That's been coming out in reports. Yeah, if you can believe that. First of all, do you think she had to sign a consent to save her brain? Because I can't wait to sign that consent. <laughs> Save my brain for my DNA so you can identify my brother, the terrorist. Well, there was the guy that, uh, well, that's a, he didn't have a terrorist brother, but right. the football player who just who said, I know my brain's messed up from playing football, so when I die, I want you to examine my brain. Right. Um, anyway, different story, but different brain. But didn't he, like, kill himself? The football guy? Yeah, yeah, I think he did. He did, actually. Oh, well, there you go. Well, that's anyway, definitely that's, a brain for posterity. That's a bit, yes, but uh, but that's what reports are saying how they did the DNA match. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. I, you know, I don't have anything to refute or so to stand against. So Osama bin Laden's sister is a young adult cancer survivor. I don't think she. I'm not sure if she was young adult. Okay, but okay. she passed away from cancer, oh, and right. they used her brain uh, to match to double check that it was be, be certain that it was Osama that they well actually got good riddance to bad rubbish. Well, that's one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be polite for yeah. no reason. Yeah. Whatsoever. Yeah. I'm with I'm with you on that. All right. Well, let's bring out Dory. Everyone's been yelling at you're me. Gonna that... get, you're going to do the big bad Dory intro? Yeah, but, you know, everyone's been yelling at me. We have the same damn sound cues all over again, over and over, over for four years now. The bad same 80s sound cues. music. Well, we, you is... know what? We're, we're going to work on this, Matthew. I'm going to continue to have bad 80s music, but this is for Dory. Okay, this is for Dory. This is like... Really bad. This is the worst 80s bad music ever. That's why they don't play it on the radio anymore. There's nothing but this for my Dory. All right, here we go. Dory played hails from Baltimore, Maryland, and is a papillary thyroid cancer survivor. Her five-year cancer anniversary is on June 1st. She is a graduate of Towson University with a bachelor's degree in adult special ed and secondary English. Dory and her mom, Adelina, 
share a blog about their family's journey with stupid thyroid cancer called Too Much on Our Plate. Please welcome the one and only Dory Plate. Dory Plate. Hi there. Bad Medicine, that's what that song was. I couldn't hear it so well over you, Matthew. Really? Yeah. Can you hear the song, Dory? What? (laughs) Yeah, and I love how I get the worst one. That's fantastic, Matthew. Well, I, I know all about it. you. I know all about you. It's because we love. No, you really don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could have I could have played this one. How about? Oh, this is great. Oh, see, that's when I was. That's old school for me. Yeah. <laughs> Take that, rewind back, ludicrous, got a with the booty go. Booty go. Very nice. All right, let's I get to it. Dory. All right, Dory. Hi there. What is your story, hi. Dory? Tell us the Dory story. Oh, boy, the Dory story. Um, well, when I was 17, I had gotten um, some swelling and inflammation in the base of my neck. And I was taking my final exams at the time for graduating. And hmm, I went to the pediatrician, and he said, oh, you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And I looked at him saying, um, what's thyroiditis and who's Hashimoto? <laughs> and I had no idea how to spell any of that for that matter. So that was a lot of fun. And he said, it's the swelling and the inflammation of the thyroid gland. I said, okay, what's a thyroid? And he had to explain that it's an important organ that controls the hormones, that controls your metabolism, all that good stuff. And I said, oh, that's kind of crucial. And uh, he said, I'll just give you antibiotics and we'll send you on your way. And my sister said, can we get an ultrasound of her thyroid? And I looked at her saying, isn't that for babies and for pregnant women? Right. Gotcha. Yeah, and a baby would not be in my neck. I was like, okay, um <laughs> didn't know those were for anything else. So she said, Can we just get it to see if anything's amiss? And he said, Sure, whatever and he wrote the script down. That weekend I got the ultrasound, the girl says, Oh, I see something and I said, Uh, what? And I didn't know what she could have possibly seen. And she said, I just want you to get it checked out. So I went to a a surgeon at a local hospital and he said, I'm just going to take a biopsy of it, no problem. And then a week later, three days before high school graduation, I was diagnosed with papillary thyroid cancer. So, <laughs> well, what, is the, what does the papillary part mean? Uh, it is a certain type of thyroid cancer. There are five types with variants. Um, so it depends. Now, they're all named depending on their severity, I guess you could say. Um, papillary thyroid cancer is the most common of thyroid cancer patients, and there's a higher survival rate than the other ones. Um, so papillary thyroid cancer is the, oh, I'm going to hate saying this, it's the easiest one to treat per se, as they say it. I disagree completely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a little bull. But uh, it's there's papillary, medullary, follicular, anaplastic, and there's another type I forgot, but it's a very long name and I can't spell it nor say it. <laughs> uh, so that's there's a lot of them, and it's a lot more to tell. There's too much to tell in the time frame we have. <laughs> so, Dory, what happened? Did you graduate three days later? I mean, how did you go about your life then with three days shy of graduation? Uh, I tried to forget, <laughs> really. I did graduate. The surgeon we went to actually wanted to do it immediately. Um, he said, we have to get it out now, 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 and I was freaking Surgery, out. It you was, mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was hard enough to say, oh, um, I'm graduating in three days. I need surgery now. You know, he wanted to do it by the end of the week, and I said, I have graduation in four days. I can't do that. And I, of course, wasn't saying this. I was thinking this all in my brain because I'm still crying hysterically. And my whole family is in this guy's face. Like, we don't want this for her right now. 
So we went to get a second opinion, and I was able to do everything I wanted to do. I did have my graduation, which actually helped me forget a little bit. But at that point, I really could see that I was entering a very different path than I really had expected. I was expecting to go on to college, you know, live my life, be crazy and young and stupid. <laughs> and instead, I was stuck with a diagnosis of cancer with no idea how to deal with it. So. so what happened then? So you had so you graduated and then walk us through then the surgery and the treatment after that. Sure. Um I had surgery 3 weeks later on June 27th, 2006 and then right Im- immediately after that I was um not funny getting medication. Never, you, I was going to say funny how you never mm-hmm. forget these exact dates, huh? No. <laughs> I'm May 16th, no, with, you're June 27th, right. Oh yeah, well hysterically yeah. enough, I actually had to create a timeline at one point, so I remember almost every date that I could possibly give. Um and then right away after surgery, I was put into my six-week prep for, tr- for treatment. Now, <laughs> treatment is interesting because it's radioactive iodine. They basically take a pill of iodine and they nuke it, and <laughs> it immediately becomes like a biohazard. So, um, Did you glow in the dark? Uh, funny story with that. My dad actually <laughs> tested that theory. <laughs> when I was in the hospital, I had a panic attack, and I was really freaking out. And my dad and my mom came up, and... My dad says, hang on, Nina, i got to try something. So he's standing there when he really shouldn't be, <laughs> and he flips the light switch off, stares at me for about 10 seconds, flips back on and says, damn it, Nina, she doesn't glow. <laughs> and I couldn't help it. I was cracking up and crying at the same time. Yeah. Uh, anyway, now <laughs> what happens is, is you go through six weeks, no medicine, so you go hypothyroid. And hypothyroid has a lot of stuff attached to it. Like you are tired, you, can, you sleep longer than normal. Like I slept 14 hours a day. Um, joint hurt, joint pain, you know, uh, muscle pain, grumpy. I was freezing cold, and it was in July. <laughs> and, wow. you know, that says a lot. Um, and then in the first week of August, I had my treatment, and that I had to be in the hospital for two days. I was basically a girl in the plastic bubble where they yeah. saran-wrapped everything, gloves on every handle. I had to flush the toilet three times with this radioactive uh, cleaner stuff. <laughs> I just really did not feel normal, and the isolation was very heartbreaking for me, especially since, you know, I'm social, like, as you guys know. And very. <laughs> I can't, <laughs> yeah, and I can't not be around people, and that was the worst two days. And then three days after my treatment, I could come home, but I couldn't be within six feet of people. So I couldn't see my baby nephew. I couldn't, you know, hug and hold my family. It was just, it was really hard because I had to text them saying, I'm coming downstairs. And they'd say, okay, we're going to leave. <laughs> and they had to leave the room. Because and of I this could... radioactive treatment. Yes. Yeah. And wow. I had a second treatment five months later. They planned it around my school schedule. So I was able to go back to school, but I was really struggling because I was still getting used to my medicine, and they were still testing medicines on me. It was just it was really rough. And then they said I was cancer-free in September, and I was so, so had elated. You started, I was... Had you started college then? You yes, graduated? I started, okay. Yeah, I had started. It was my first year that I basically went through treatment the whole time. Okay. And um, that was really stressful. But I did pass sort of. <laughs> I did okay. And Well, then, how is it just showing up? Mm-hmm. Let me just go back for a second. So sure, you're sure. showing up as a new kid to college at, uh, yeah. at uh, Towson. You say Towson, right? That's how you say yes, it. Or Towson, Towson University. Yeah. Yep. Towson University. So, I mean, hard enough, like, right? You show up there and it's orientation uh-huh. and new friends and new things. And what do you do? You just tell everybody, and by the way, I have cancer and I'm going to be leaving to go to have treatments? How was that? Um, 
I told people when I wanted to. <laughs> it was yeah. funny because I basically wanted to spread the word no matter what. You know, I made sure if I could put it in an essay, I did. And I didn't, you know, I didn't care. It's like I need people to know this because I didn't know anyone else with cancer at my age. And yeah. I was sort of also hoping to find somebody else who had it. But, you know, it was just like I wouldn't put this on anyone else. I would and really did, hope did no you, one else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you find anybody else in college? Did, some, did people come forward and say, I've also gone through this or I know somebody who's going through this? Uh, I only met one other girl, and she was very young at her age, so I really couldn't. I could connect with her, but not on a different, you know, on the same level as me. Yeah. And that was really rough. That was yet another form of isolation that I felt, and I just, it was very rough to deal with. Um, but it was, it was, I had family, I had, you know, my friends, and they all really supported me. It just, it hurt that I didn't have that connection with someone who really, truly understood what was going on. Yeah, wow. So, uh, okay, so we... My question yeah, is, Matthew, did, did you lose any friends? Um, some people, I don't really recall because my fan, my, my fan base, wow, that's cocky. My friend base was kind of broad, but my closest friends did stick around. Um, I did lose touch with some, but I think that was as far as school went. But a lot of people didn't really know what to say to me anymore. You know, and, and I talked about it a lot. So they were just like, Dory, shut up. We're done with the cancer talk, you know, but... I needed to talk about it, and I had no other outlet other than people who didn't get it. And I didn't really lose friends, but I feel like I did lose some in a way because they just kind of felt like they couldn't really connect with me as much anymore because I had a really different outlook at that point. I was very different from high school, very. And they knew that, and they told me that, and I said, what are you talking about? I had no clue. And they were just like, well, you're very different from before. And I said, oh, well, blame cancer, I guess. How did you? Uh, how did we originally meet? When did that? When, when did that start? <laughs> when did we meet? Uh, the the um, happy hour. The or not the happy hour. The stupid cancer spectacular <laughs> Halloween party where I drank too much. <laughs> Wait, you you drank too much? I did. Let me, let me process that. <laughs> uh, and every once in a while, Matthew's been known to knock a few back. Oh, um, I know. I did. I did have half a glass of champagne uh, tonight for Amanda's birthday. Oh, that's a killer! Where is Amanda? <laughs> she's like under the desk or something. I don't Amanda! know. Where, oh no, she's oh, okay. Just... <laughs> she's over there. All right. Okay. So let's go back. Ah. So, so your friend said you're acting differently. I mean, certainly, look, you had to grow up real fast in many ways. I would imagine. I mean, how did they right. think you were acting differently? I mean, of course you were going to be different because of what you were going through. But how would you articulate that, or think that they would articulate that? Uh, I think I was a lot more serious than I was yeah. before. I think my complete mentality had changed as far as my life, what I was doing, you know, what I was aiming to do. And I did have a few quarrels with a couple of close friends. They were just like, you're just not the same person anymore. It's very irritating. You don't you can't even take a joke anymore. And I said, well, it's hard now. It's yeah, like, you're I like, really well, can't... you know, <laughs> not in a laughing yeah. mood at the moment, thanks. Exactly, and that just made it all the more difficult because I couldn't explain completely what was going on and it was a lot harder yeah we're getting some feedback in the chat room folks weighing in saying i also lost a lot of my friends during my treatment and my relationships with the ones that i didn't lose or forever change so you know people identify with what you're saying definitely yeah so yeah um so then so tell us about so you started to work you have a your education is your is your field is your specialty a special adult special education right Yes. Okay. And currently you're I know you're working but you're looking for a job 
Tell us where you're yeah, at right now. I'm still looking for a teaching job. I'm currently working at an elementary school locally as a personal assistant, so I kind of help in the classroom with kids and help the teacher as they need me. So it's it's really hard. The job market's terrible right now in every field, so it's yeah. kind of rough. But, you know, it it's 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 slowly going. I'm still avidly looking. It's you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. So so what have you and what do you live with now in terms of I mean, you basically had a year of treatment, is that right? And then you were finished yes. and any sort of side effects, repercussions, how does your body feel now coming up on five years out? Well, I had a second surgery, uh, after okay. those two treatments. Okay. Um, that left me um long story short, I had twenty nine lymph nodes removed from the left side of my neck. My neck is still numb. I can't really feel it. My upper chest is still kind of numb. I definitely can't feel that. And it goes all the way up to my left ear. So it's discomfort. It's a discomfort. It's horrible. Um, I've noticed that over the last year or two that my memory is a lot worse <laughs> as yeah. if it wasn't already before. I really stick to that Dory from Finding Nemo character. Um, ah. They really should give me a cut from that movie. They totally took my personality and stuck it <laughs> in a movie. Um my memory's bad. I can I tend to think way too fast. So my brain is always going and I can't really stop and think. But that's where <laughs> alcohol I, comes in. Well, I can't do that while I'm working. I mean, have come you on. ever no, worked I'll, in advertising? No. <laughs> alcohol doesn't help that. Have you no, ever worked in Fox News? <laughs> Matthew, we're so not That's where you two get it. Right. Okay. Um I also noticed that, you know, I'm just, I get panic attacks a lot. I actually started getting those after my treatment and, you know, after I started getting, becoming hyperthyroid. They keep you hyper, you know, when you're off, um, when you're done to kind of suppress the thyroid tissues and keep them from doing anything. So hyperthyroid, you're basically the opposite of hypo. You're always on the go. Your mind's always going. It's just there's a lot of stuff that goes on. So, you know, I have heart palpitations. This is so much fun. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. But, yeah. It's it's a great, great thing. <laughs> well, I think we're going to, Matthew, you want to cut away? Uh, this is great. We're going to keep you on when we have your mom on. Yeah. Because we're uh, talking about parenting, and you guys have a, a unique situation in mm. which you're going through this, and then we're going to talk about your other family members as well. Should we uh, cut away to the news, Matthew, and hang on, Dory, and we'll come yeah, back? Yeah, yeah, Dory, hang on, on a sec. We'll, we'll put you on mute here, and uh, we'll get to the news. We'll get you right back on. Sure. All righty? All righty. All righty. That was Dory Plate. Dory Plate. Dory Plate. All right, now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All right, during this part of... I just had a seizure. During this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announced to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we don't want you missing out on. And they're all just for young adults with cancer, things like conferences, happy hours, retreats, kayaking and mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, feed of support groups, and more. If you have something coming up that you'd like us to hear, uh, spread the word during this part of the show. Please email info at stupidcancer.com. Lisa. All right, head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of your social and educational events nationwide, and even Canada. Stay in the loop because something can be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Matthew, do we have any events to announce tonight? We go do, for we it. do. On um, 
Saturday, May 21st, the Stupid Cancer Boot Camp in Buffalo for all of Western and Central New York. You know, did you know that there's a New York State above New York City? <laughs> anyway, no clue. Say it ain't so. There's a whole bunch I of did. people I, that I, don't I went, live here. I went to college up in New York yeah, State. Yeah, so did I. Yeah. Anyway, Buffalo, Bengals and Rochester, Syracuse, Albany, Corning. Hamil- Hamilton, New York, Hamilton, Colgate University. Colgate. Come on, folks. Stony Anta. <laughs> Yes, Tony Anza. You guys are all invited to the Super Cancer Boot Camp in Buffalo on Saturday, May 21st. Go to supercancer.com forward slash Buffalo. All right, May 26th is a San Diego happy hour. And on June 23rd, our Super Cancer Boot Camp in Chicago is kicking off. I will be there with Johnny Irman. Guns are blazing. His guns are blazing anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have guns. Uh, that is superkids.com slash Chicago. All right. Go. The 2011 OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults may have just ended, but believe it or not, we're gearing up for OMG 2012 in Vegas, baby. But this time, we can't do it alone. Starting in May, we're launching a feasibility survey because we need your help to plan, organize, fundraise, and promote. Don't miss out on being a part of history. Well, our history. We think it's history. We it think is history. we're making history. Visit omg2012.org. All righty, folks. The Stupid Cancer Forums just crossed 600 members and has become the online community for the young adults that are affected by all cancers. Whether you've got a parent who's sick, a child who's sick, you're sick, your spouse is sick, a sibling, a partner, or a friend, there's a discussion group for that. Head on over to stupidcancerforums.com. Sign up with one-click access through Facebook. I'm trying, I'm trying to type in OMG 2012 in a, a chat room, and I've, of course, completely screwed it up. Uh, the Super Cancer Street Team, is that what we're talking about? Yes, Yes, sir. it is. We've yes, ma'am. Brought to you by... <laughs> yes, dude. confusing sometimes. Gee. Brought to you by the Stupid Cancer Army and our friends at FanCorp. This is truly social networking with a purpose. It's free. It's easy. Win great prizes. Build our grassroots effort. And meet thousands of authentic fans from around the globe. Sign up today at stupidcancerarmy.com. Alrighty, folks. Tomorrow night, every Tuesday, our partners at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society present YA Connect, a free interactive webcast supporting young adults affected by all cancers. Yes, it may be the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, but... They do this program for anyone affected by any cancer in the young adult space. Check it out at lls.org slash yaconnect. You said but. I2Y is pleased to... <laughs> really? Did you reach a new low? I2Y is pleased to partner with Cancer and Careers on the first ever National Conference on Work and Cancer Friday, June 17, 2011 in New York City. Topics will include job search, legal issues, health insurance, working during treatment, and more. CEUs will be available. CEUs, Matthew, tell the folks what CEUs are. A continuing educational unit if you are a nurse. Yes, will be available for oncology nurses and social workers. For more details or to register, please visit cancerandcareers.org slash conference. And as always, to wrap the news, be sure to register yourselves with Immerman Angels, our partner in one-to-one peer matching at ImmermanAngels.org and check out the calendar for First Descents, the premier outdoor adventure organization for young adults with cancer online at FirstDescents.org. They host dozens of retreats and excursions every year. You don't want missing out on that. And that, that is, is your Stupid Cancer, cancer News. Yay. Woo. I'm tired. Yeah, that was a lot. But we got to shorten this stuff. We, we have to stop being so popular. We tried to keep it lively. Uh, all right. Well, let's... Uh,
You gonna do? You want to take Adelina? No, you can take her. Okay. Yeah. And then take, I'm gonna take, take my I'm take my take, wife, please. I'm gonna take Bonnie too. I'm gonna take the next two. All right. I'm gonna take the grown-ups. The grown-ups. Because I try to be, I aspire to be a grown-up. Adelina Plate is a two-year papillary yes. thyroid so cancer hot, yes. survivor from Baltimore, Maryland. She's the mother of Dory Plate. If you hadn't figured that out already, she's a full-time and, and and much more. She's a full-time medical transcriptionist and practice manager for a Baltimore internist. Adelina is a wife and mother of three two of which are also thyroid cancer survivors and the grandmother of one. She's also the sister and aunt of thyroid cancer survivors, so we're going to find out what the heck's going on here. We are thrilled to have her on the show. Please welcome Adelina Plate. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I am not going anywhere near your family anymore. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But they're the best. They're the best of people. I know. It's it's pretty incredible. We, We... Everybody that we talk to, including doctors and and just anybody out there that we 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 talk to about it, it, you know, they're just amazed, shocked. I mean, do you all live in a cesspool? (laughs) (laughs) But we were asked similar questions. Yeah, you know, if we'd ever been around Chernobyl or anything like that, and um, really, they 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 asked you questions. Yes, yes, they. Were you you hanging out by Chernobyl? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> or you you weren't in Japan recently or any no, Three Mile no, Island no. or any of that. So let's no. so let's do a count here. So it's it's uh, the two of you and another mm-hmm. daughter of yours, um Dory's sister and grandmother yes. and then uh your Adelina, your uh I'm I'm the mom. So, right. No, so I know you're the mom. Me. But mm-hmm. you but then there's others also. Another, um, you, you have a sister as well. That yes. Well, it sort of it sort of became this chain reaction when, you know, Dory was diagnosed. But then there was, uh, I think, four years between Dory's diagnosis and my diagnosis. And mine was really because you know I was having a physical, which is one of those things where I thought, let's really look this time because seven years before that I had had a what they call thyroglossal duct cyst, and it really is just Gesundheit. a cyst. But pardon? Gesundheit. Yes. So I so I had neck surgery, and I had this cyst removed, and it was benign, which they typically are, and I recovered very nicely from that. But just because, and I really don't know what really prompted me to do it. I said to the doctor, "Let's really look this time." I mean, beyond. The blood work, and he kept reassuring me, "Well, your blood work's fine. Your blood work's always been fine." And I said, "Okay." So he sent me for uh, an ultrasound, and I work in a building where there's a radiology place, and I just went right over to it and had it done. And sure enough, they found three nodules, which in and of that itself is not unusual. They say that most people have thyroid nodules. It's just you know a matter of whether or not there's anything atypical about the nodules and because of dory's um, history then you know i visited an endocrinologist which i was referred to and he did some uh, biopsies and one of the three nodules came back having papillary thyroid cancer and so, this is all because you pushed this you yes. were the you you were proactive this is not anything yes. to do with what your doctor saying this Ugh. Okay. No, and you know, and I then, because I pushed and because I knew that seven years prior to that, when I had the thyroglossal duct cyst removed and I had a neck scan then for that, I knew that I didn't have thyroid cancer then. 
so sometime between that point and when I went to the doctor, you know, four years ago, I developed thyroid cancer. And so I don't know when that might have happened. If they'd have checked me a year earlier, you know, maybe there wouldn't have been anything. I mean, who knows? Who, who knows? But, um, but anyway, so I had the surgery, and then, of course, my other daughter, who is my only other daughter, um, I ha- also have a son, but I, one other daughter said to me, Mom, now what do you think my chances are? You have it. Dory has it. And, you know, and I said, yeah, well, you know, you're really going to have to be checked for this. So sure enough, she went through the same thing that I did with the ultrasound, the biopsies. They found nodules, and she had papillary thyroid cancer. Wow. So <laughs> she was a month. Her surgery was exactly a month behind mine. It was just enough for me to be well enough to be with her and stay with her in the hospital. Wow. And so, so- I stay with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so let's talk about, so so the gene mutation here, so you've all been tested, are you all carry, are you, do you all have a gene mutation for this? They, they don't know that because they, they feel, scientists feel that there is a genetic link um, with familial, I mean with um, papillary thyroid cancer, so they believe it does have familial tendencies, but they've yet to identify what that gene is. So we are actually, because so far, we are the largest family that they have found with six people having thyroid cancer um, to use. We're the largest ones involved in studies that they are doing. We're the largest family. So we're in a study with Johns Hopkins. We're in a study with the University of Ohio. I'm, oh, I'm sorry, Ohio State University. And um, we've, you know, they have our blood samples, my parents' DNA, DNA, they have all kinds of things that they're looking for, you know, this genetic link. Now, we did hear, um, get some sort of a preliminary just by mouth report from Hopkins that the gene that they thought was responsible, which they have really been looking at and hoping to get a really large family so that they can look at this particular gene does not apply in our case. They have found that that gene, it, it just didn't pan out. So then they go back, you know, to the drawing board. Is another gene responsible or is something just going on in our family line that things sort of are, you know, go awry and cause this cancer? Yeah. We don't so know. I want to talk about, too, let, let's go to, because this is a show about uh, parenting, and you have this situation where uh, before you're even diagnosed, can we talk about, so you're 17-year-old, how this all, mm. you know, with Dory. So what is that, can you, can you articulate that, what is that like? You have a kid who's three days away from high school graduation. Mm. And horrible. all of a sudden, you, you, you know, you're standing there with doctors and they're telling you that your kid's got this cancer. Yeah. What, what was yeah, that I, can, I can remember that day very clearly because I felt I felt like all the wind had been taken out of my sails. It just it was hard to even breathe after the doctor said that. And a lot of that too came from the fact that there wasn't any cancer in our family. You know, heart disease, yes, high blood pressure, diabetes, all kinds of things. I come from a pretty large Italian family, but cancer, no. We didn't have any any family members with cancer. We'd never really gone through any. Um, any cancer with anybody in the family, particularly the immediate family. So it was really hard to hear that word and and very, you know, scary, of course, because, you know, we did, just didn't know. And I 
in particular didn't really know anything about thyroid cancer. I mean, not enough about it. Right. And the fact that, you know, you go home and you start searching on things on the Internet, which is a very dangerous thing to do sometimes, you know, you sort of look at all of the worst-case scenarios and um, and that's sort of what I kind of did. And even before Dory was absolutely diagnosed, after she had the biopsies, you know, I kept thinking, looking at the fact that, oh, gosh, you know, she's, she's you know, under a certain age, and she's 17, she's, you know, considered a youth, you know, it's one nodule. So it, it put her in a very high-risk category. So I had myself prepared that it probably was thyroid cancer. But there's nothing like here in the real words. <laughs> of course. Me. And then that dynamic where then you're both patients and your other daughter's mm-hmm. a patient. I mean, what was that like? It's kind of like were you all sort of caring for each other? I mean, then you've got a family. I mean, how do you how did you keep things under control emotionally? I mean, did you find that, you know, okay, now we're focusing on this person, I've got to keep my emotions in check? I mean, how did that dynamic all work? Yeah, and you know, it, it was really hard because you really want to you want to treat everybody as an individual and um, not lose sight of the fact that because one person um, did absolutely beautifully and was, you know, the epitome of of courageousness and everything, that didn't mean that somebody else wasn't going to fall apart. And I think that of of the three of us, I probably fell apart the most. Um, I, you know, I guess because I'm older and thought, oh, gosh, you know, for this to be happening to me, you know, now at this stage in my life and having to go through surgery and treatment, what could my prognosis possibly be? But, you know, it was just a matter of being educated about it and, and um and you know, talking to the doctors and and that sort of thing. And Did you ever go through counseling as a family? Uh, do you mean just just um, for emotional? For support? emotional, right? Like through no, a therapist or anything? No, we we really did really well, I think, just with each other, and we we really. St- Eventually, it started to almost be like a good time. You know, we'd stand in front of the <laughs> yeah. mirror and compare our scars. And, you know, and say, and mine always look the worst, mind you, but um, for whatever reason. But, um, you know, we would do that. And who was healing the fastest? And, you know, it sort of became almost, I don't know, I don't want to use the word fun because cancer really isn't a fun thing, but you, you mm, sort of have so to much. grab on to whatever, whatever, you know, did you play like you can like cancer bingo with like if you had different <laughs> problems who had the problems and then it could be fun. Exactly. exactly yeah and and it was funny my house sort of became the place where everybody did their um like what did we want to call it Dory their their meltdown or whatever after they had their um, radioactive iodine treatment. You know, so uh, Dory, you know, was able to be up in her room, but then when I, you know, went through mine, I stayed downstairs in the lower level, which is which is very nice. I mean, it's hardly shabby. And my daughter, she stayed in my lower level. And, you know, we just sort of made fun of the whole thing, you know, that, you know, we were the groundhogs and, you know, were, were we going to have another six weeks of winter if one of us came up and saw our shadow? And it just, you know, it just became that sort of thing. So how did the and how did the how did your uh, are, so you're you're married? There's a Mr. Plate in the picture. 
Oh yes, he's in yes. the picture. So how did Ryan write to the to the radiologist too? He wanted his neck scanned. He wanted to you know really <laughs> so find the, out what was going so the, on here. So the two males in the family are the only ones that haven't been hit with this, and how did they deal with the three women going through this? Well, and my are they son's jealous? scared to death because he actually does have a thyroid nodule. Who, who does? So I think I, I don't. I, maybe yeah. that's a little harsh, scared to death. He heard me say that. He said, "I'm not scared." Um, but your husband, uh, you mean? No, this is my son. Your son. Okay. So it's Dory's brother and and my son, and um, he's the only then one of the siblings um, and of my children who would not have thyroid cancer if he doesn't get it. But he's watched very closely because of this nodule. It's not even big enough to biopsy yet. It's only yeah. about a centimeter. I mean, a millimeter. Huh. And I, I want to bring Dory back in quickly because I, I know when I, I saw Dory for the um, OMG Summit, we touched on this. I mean, I know I, I had a breast cancer diagnosis, and, oh. you know, I remember my mom saying, like, oh, I wish it were me, but I sort of felt, you know what, you know, as frightening as this is, you know, I'm sort of glad that it's me because I felt more in control that it was my body, and I thought, boy, I might mm-hmm. fall to pieces more if this were my mom. And I think Dory had... Similar feelings like that, she did you, Dory? When, when yes, you I found did. out about your mom, how did you, how did you feel? Um, she called me when I was actually at an event at college because this is my last year in college. I just had a great time with the last years of everything, and um, <laughs> I cried immediately. She just right when she said it, the faucet came on, and all my friends had their hands on my shoulders, my head, my you know they were hugging me, and I'm just sitting there like I'm coming home, I'm coming home, and she's like, no, do not come home, go have fun with your friends, and I'm like, how the hell? Can I possibly have fun? Well, my mom has the same cancer as me. And then as the diagnoses kept coming in, I just started losing my mind. And it just was so, you'll see some of my blog entries if you look at the blog. It's just, I really had a tough time coping. And, oh, God, I'm going to cry. It just, it was really rough to deal with as I'm trying to go through my last semester. And, you know, there's a um, quote that I read in Carol Rosenthal's book. She said, one of her, the people that she had interviewed, she said something like, you know, it's one thing to have it yourself, but it's another thing entirely to watch someone else do it, to go through it. Because you're sitting there doing nothing. You have nothing that you can contribute except for words and hugs and hand-holding, and that's all you got, and that's all I had in me, and I just could not sit there. <laughs> it just felt like it was I was twiddling my thumbs, and it was just so hard to watch all of them, and seeing those scars is still hard sometimes because I just wish it was all me and not them at all. But it is what it is, and we've been working with it fine, I guess, now. So, All right, well, Doria, you know, I have a solution for you. See, si. I'm decreeing this as we speak, live on the air oh, to millions of people. Uh-oh, here we go. You must marry a thyroid cancer survivor. Uh-oh, uh-oh, <laughs> don't tell Jason that. <laughs> <laughs> because that way it's already out of the way. Well, then it also gives our kids even more of a chance. So, I don't think I want to do that (laughs) to my children. (laughs) Well, you know, I can deal with that. Oddly enough, that you brought that up, Matthew. You know, my my, and I hate to even throw this in the mix because then it gets everybody's wheels spinning. But my son-in-law, my Janina, my other daughter who has thyroid cancer, her husband was diagnosed with thyroid cancer in the middle of all this craziness. God. And so, but, but the gen, so she was absolutely terrified because they only have one child between them. And it's my, my one grandson, he's seven at this time. 
But my daughter was beside herself, and she said, oh, my God, what are Marin's chances? His name is Marin. What are Marin's chances? And the doctor, all these genetics doctors, says the same as if your husband never had it. Yeah. If he's going to get it because Great. of this genetic link within your family, you know, he, it will come from that. But So his chances are the same as if Mike didn't have it. So he stands as good a chance as my son of getting it or, you know, anybody else in the family. So uh, that was pretty interesting. Wow. And and with going along with what Dory said, you know, I felt the same way as a mother. Why couldn't that be me? Why couldn't that be me? But look, you watch it. what you wish for. You jinxed it. <laughs> Mom. Watch what you wish for. No. It's, it's really fun. But what she did bring to me, and I'll tell you tell you this, and I want to say this on the air because it really, really means something to me, that she brought me this whole wonderful world and support system that that the I2Y group has to offer. And that wouldn't have been available to me, of course, at 55 years old. I'm not exactly, you know, uh, too young. But um, That's okay. We welcome all. It was all. just that, you know, she had made <laughs> all these friends and had all this incredible support, and I saw how that really, really pulled her through on a daily basis. And she would, you know, go to her laptop and get all, the, all these great messages from people and have, you know, met people from all around the world. And it's just been so wonderful. And the entire time that I was going through this, that all of these same people were carrying messages through Dory to me, even even being wheeled into the operating room. And I'll never forget that, that they put me in a wheelchair and they're wheeling me away. And Dory screamed into the hall, Mom, so-and-so says, good luck. We're praying for you. We're all pulling for you. We're all behind you. You know, and she's still getting these messages or coming in right and left. And I just remember going to the operating room with this huge smile on my face. Oh, that's thinking, great. I mean, these people that, you know, you probably will never have the chance to meet that touch yeah. your lives in such a profound way. That's great. We could talk to you guys all night, and I wish that we had more time, but we're running a little <laughs> behind okay. you to Thank bring on our other so guests. Much. But uh, what, how fabulous to have the mother-daughter plate team on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You guys you rock. Guys we'll see great. you soon. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Good Bye. Night. Bye, guys. Thanks so much. Bye. Good stuff right there. Great too. Good stuff. All right, again, at the risk of having monotonous music for four years now, I still try to pick something uh Let's try uh for Bonnie Julius. For Bonnie Julius. Let I, another I, mother extraordinaire. I can't not go 80s style. All right. That's all right. Go 80s. Oh, this is a manic Monday? Yeah. Well, we're manic. She's not manic. She's no. totally got to pull no, together. No, we're totally manic. She's got to pull together. All, right, all you. Bonnie Julius, after metastatic breast cancer claimed the life of her 39-year-old daughter Cricket just 4 months after her diagnosis in 2006. Bonnie Julius and her niece, Carol Trone, co-founded Cricket's Answer for Cancer, a York, Pennsylvania registered 501c3 nonprofit. It provides new, cost-free wigs, mastectomy and lymphedema products, and pampering services to women with breast cancer in order to help women recover their femininity after having lost their hair or their breast to this disease. I hope folks can hear me over the music, Matthew. Can yeah. they hear me? Yeah. Okay. Bonnie retired from her longtime position as Deputy Court Administrator for Human Resources with the New York County uh, County Court of Common Pleas to carry on the mission and her labor of love for keeping her daughter's memory alive through Cricket's Answer for Cancer. Cricket's Answer for Cancer, and we'll put this in the chat room as we talk about it, is Cricket's Answer, two T's, cricketsanswerforcancer.org. Please help me welcome to the show Bonnie Julius. 
Hello, Hello. Bonnie. Bonnie, Bonnie, are you there? Yes, I'm here, and I want to thank you very much for inviting me to be a guest on your show this evening. Oh, we're so thrilled to have you. Bonnie and I had a really great uh, phone conversation before tonight's show. Yes, we did. (laughs) And I also want to say congratulations before we start to both you, Lisa, and Matthew for being young cancer survivors. She thinks we're young. (laughs) Well, you may not be now, but, well, yes, you are young. (laughs) When you're talking to someone that's 66, you're very young. Oh, well. You're, 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 you make us feel. I mean, you're, you have so much vitality in what you're doing with your life. It's, it's putting us, putting us to shame if, if we are a couple years younger. But uh, you've got an amazing story here. I want to start with, um, tell us about your daughter and again what that. Well, your daughter's name was Cricket and uh, diagnosed with breast cancer. And take us through that diagnosis and how you felt. And, and it was very, very fast. It, at, at four months, it was, it was it had metastasized by the time they had found it. So. Tell us about that moment when you found out from Cricket. Well, I found out on uh, June the 14th, 2006, and, yes, it's a date you never forget. Uh, she was getting ready to go on a trip to Bermuda and had contacted me several days before and indicated that she was having problems with her stomach, and I suggested that she should probably see a doctor before she left for Bermuda Because if something happened there, she didn't know what kind of a doctor she was going to have. And so she did that. Yeah. She went to the doctor on the 13th of June, 2006. Her her primary care physician she went to, he sent her for an ultrasound of the upper quadrant. And that is how they found the tumor. The tumor was in her right breast. It was later identified to be invasive adenocarcinoma, which is glandular of a right breast, both estrogen and progesterone receptor negative, and HER2 positive. It had already spread to her liver, so then they had to do biopsies of her liver. And for the second week that we went to the oncologist uh, was when we found out that she had stage four breast cancer, we were sitting there together with the oncologist, and she asked him what stage she was, and he said stage four, and she burst out crying. She was not a person to cry, so I knew it had to be something bad, and I was totally unfamiliar with with breast cancer. There is no one in my family with breast cancer, and so I didn't know a whole lot about it, and before the oncologist could answer, she popped in and said, Mom, that means that means that I'm terminal. Huh. Well, I probably could have killed someone with my bare hands right at that moment. I just felt totally out of control. I didn't get out of control until we were on the way home when she stopped the car in the middle of the road and said, Mom, I'm going to die. Wow. And I it 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 just totally took my breath away. It, I, I don't even know how else to answer it. It took my breath away. Uh-huh. And so she did not begin chemo. They were going to try to do chemo and then hopefully shrink the tumor enough that they could do a lumpectomy, which never came to be, of course. Uh-huh. Um, they started her on chemo on July 11th. And she had a very serious reaction to it in September, and they had to take her off of chemo. In September, she spent 
three and a half weeks in the hospital, University Hospital in Cleveland, Ohio. She did go for a second opinion, and she went to Johns Hopkins for her second opinion. And that physician said to her, Cricket, you have weeks or months to live, not years. Meanwhile, the oncologist in Cleveland was telling us that we would be able to once again go shopping, go on vacations together because Cricket was not married. And when she would be going on a great trip, she would always invite me to go along. And we were very close, probably more friends than mother and daughter, but also mother and daughter. Right. So tell us, uh, Bonnie, when you were when you had alone time, so you, you she cricket pulls over the car and she tells you this, which is just I I can't even. No, she didn't know. pull over the car. She stopped right in the middle of a freeway. <laughs> oh, she did. <laughs> like, she, no, we can't do this, or we won't even live a couple months. Very cinematic, <laughs> right? So, and she, I, you wow. know, it was just she was driving because I didn't feel like I could be in control enough to drive the car to get us home at that time. So what I'm, happened when you actually got home and you were alone and you were away okay. from her and you had to process this on your own? Well, this was really, really strange. Cricket was a very strong young woman, vivacious, generous. Just, I know that I'm her mom and, yes, I can be saying those things, but I think if you were to ask Anyone that ever knew her, they would say the same thing about her. When we are just about at her house, and I thought we were going straight home, she pulls into the parking lot of a diner, gets out of the car, says, I'm going in to order our dinner, and we'll take it home and eat. And I am sitting there, like, uh, not even believing what I'm hearing. I just felt like I was totally losing it at the time, and... uh, so she was. She had already put it into perspective in just like 10 or 15 minutes' time and was able to go back to the business at hand, so to speak. And that wasn't me. I mean, we didn't really talk a lot about it when we got home. We ate dinner. Um, I, she took a nap. I went up to where I used to stay in her home, which is a little suite of rooms on the second floor and I closed the door and I called some of my friends in York to scream, cry, do whatever it was that I had to do to get some of this out of my system. Yeah. That's a good thing that you had. It sounds like you have good friends to uh to listen to you. I have a wonderful support system here in York. I'm in York, Pennsylvania. And as a matter of fact, my support system is so wonderful that when I was still working and Cricket was diagnosed, my boss suggested to me that he felt like my job was in Cleveland, Ohio, and not York, Pennsylvania, and that as long as I was available by cell phone or um, laptop computer, that he will have considered me to have worked and that I could spend as much time there as I wanted to. And I will never forget that man for the rest of my life. He will remain in my mind because he gave me the gift of time with my child. Everybody should have a work for somebody like that. Yes, they should. 
And I would go there two or three weeks at a time and then come home for a week or two. I'd go back for two or three weeks at a time. And, you know, it just, and when she became very ill from the chemo in September, I happened to have been there at the time. And I'm glad that I was, even though it was a horrible, horrible thing to have gone through. She was hospitalized immediately. I spent day in and day out at the hospital. I would go back to her home every evening because she had two dogs to take care of them, and then I would go back to the hospital. I slept on a cot right beside her bed. But it was just very difficult to take. I questioned the oncologist several times about, are you sure? And he kept, in fact, he got a little upset with me that I continued to ask because I could see light seeping out of her every single day. And I said, you know, I I don't see us going shopping or going on vacations again. And he would say, this is only a setback. And I just became livid. It, It just you know, I'm not a doctor, but I could see life seeping out of cricket every single day. So I, you know, kind of distanced myself from him as much as I could and um, spent my time paying attention to cricket. And what you've so, so, uh, so she passes, she, she passes away in, in four and a half months. Yes. And uh, I'm assuming you were, you know, you you had all the, you you were right there, obviously, through well, all of this with her. Right? Actually, yeah. she was released from the hospital the end of the first week in October, and she wanted to see if she could be at home by herself mm-hmm. with some, maybe uh, a visiting nurse or someone to come in and help her. Right. And so I thought, okay, I've been here three and a half weeks. This is probably a good time for me to go back to York for a week or two and then come back to give her the time that she felt she wanted to find out if she could do this on her own. Right. And so even though I didn't want to leave, I did, and I went back to York. And I was planning on returning to uh, Cleveland on the 21st of October, and the night at 11 p.m. of the 20th, I got a call from one of the team members who was caring for her, and he said, Bonnie, you need to leave for Cleveland immediately because I cannot guarantee you Cricket will be alive when you get here in six hours. And so a very good friend of mine, I called her. She was already in bed. She got out of bed. This is what a great support system I have. And picked me up. We left for Cleveland. And when I got there in the morning, Cricket, of course, could not talk anymore. And uh, But I, as soon as she heard my voice, her eyes flew open, and I could tell she knew that I was there. Oh, God. And they kept saying she wasn't going to live. I instituted the living will that she asked me to please do. And uh, that was a very difficult decision for a mother to make, but I made it because I promised her I would do everything that she wanted me to do. And um, this is this is this is amazing. I, I want to I want to actually get to um, speaking of which, promise everything that you want her to do. You told me also that she said 
she'd she'd be kind of your garden garden angel the guardian right. angel actually that show. is what she said in the car when she stopped the car in the middle of the big highway she said i'm going to die mom but i will always be your guardian angel i'm sorry that i left that part out that's amazing i will she always had, yeah. be your guardian angel it's amazing I, she had that presence to say that to you and i want to talk about let's talk about cricket's answer for cancer because so here you are, you've got this incredible grief. You had, you know, four and a half months time between yeah. her diagnosis and her death. But you've done this incredible thing in starting this organization, Cricket's Answer for Cancer, in her name and carrying on her legacy. So tell us about that. Well, you know, she did not know, and she and I had never spoken about it, but when I would go along to chemo with her, I would see women, and my son, or my daughter, like I said, was a very vivacious young woman, and if you go on the website, org. you will be able to see her picture and what a vivacious young woman she was. And But the other women that were in the chemo room with her, I, I, I just, my heart went out to those women because they looked like they totally lost their identity because they'd lost their hair and or their breasts. And I can't say that I wouldn't be the same way, even though my daughter wasn't that way. I would sit there and I would think there has to be something that can be done for these women to help them feel more like a woman. And so after the, and I never, like I said, mentioned it to Cricket, but after the initial grieving period and all that loss process ended, my niece, Carol Trone, who you mentioned before, who is now my vice president, and co-founder, and I discussed how we could provide women with the means to feel good about themselves once again. It was then that I shared with Carol that what I'd seen in the chemo rooms of the cancer center where Cricket went for treatment, and so the idea for Cricket's Answer for Cancer was born. Uh, We decided to provide new, you mentioned it, cost-free wigs, mastectomy bras, camisoles, et cetera, lymphedema sleeves and or gauntlets and pampering services nationwide to women with breast cancer. Now, unfortunately, or it, 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 it's obvious that we only work with women with breast cancer for obvious reasons. Yeah. And I want to do this. This is the love of my life. I did retire to work full-time on this. My niece also works pretty much on it. She, though, has a pretty much full-time job and two young children, so she has less time to work on it than I do, but she has done our our entire website and does almost all the the behind-the-scenes things. It's pretty amazing, I know, what what you guys have done, and I know you told me that you've helped hundreds of women at this point, and and they can go on your website and and fill out a form, uh, and you process them. They go under request services, and they can download an enrollment form, which is three pages of information, and they will get it back to me, and we will begin to help them. And well, some, Matthew, go Bonnie, ahead, let yeah. me ask you a question here. We only have about five minutes left, and I want to make sure we get as much detail in as possible. Okay. Uh, Cricket was 37 when she was 39. diagnosed. 39. No, 39 right. when she was diagnosed. Right. So as you know, our, our show and our entire organization and the entire movement that we represent is all about young adults who are diagnosed at the age of 40 and the uniqueness of what that means to them in within the span of their age and not the, necessarily the disease that they get. Uh, did Cricket, was she, uh, where in her life, was, was, 
Obviously, this is something you don't expect when you're under 40 or even under 50 to that extent. No. But she sounds like someone who was able to completely own the fact that this was her reality. And She did. And, she uh, did. And she, she was very accepting of the fact that God needed her for a purpose. And she was more than willing to go and do whatever it is he needed her for. Do you feel that her late detection had to do with the fact that the system just isn't really set up for people to get cancer in their 30s? Well, I think the system isn't set up for that. And the other thing is that mammograms aren't asked to be started until they're age 40. Personally, I think women should start having mammograms at at least age 20. I mean, a mammogram at maybe some earlier point in time would have shown that there was a tumor there. I, I don't know that. I You know, I would have hoped that it would have, but that's wishing that can't, I can't do anything about. So I have to start from where I am now and just move on, and it is what Cricket would have wanted me to do. Well, this, is the, this is the young little conversation. Like, the part of, I mean, the, the conversation about mammograms under 40 is a very heated debate that's been going on for several decades now, and they keep changing the standards because the biology, the epidemiology, and the science changes every other day. So uh, the young adult, breast cancer in young women is a big issue uh, in terms of the inequities faced by women who are ineligible to receive fair and balanced treatment. Because, I mean, the numbers may be small, but it's such a deadlier disease in women under 40. There's nothing that they need to help themselves feel more like a woman. It's covered under any insurance if they do have insurance. I'll give you an example of the numbers. Last year, we served 111 women nationwide. I mean, we're still a relatively young organization. January, February, and March of 2011, we served 64 women. I just looked at the numbers for April, and we served 24 women in the month of April alone. So So that numbers are climbing. That can tell you how our numbers are climbing. And the only way we have of not having be able to say no to these women that we can't afford to do something for them is fundraising activities and outright monetary donations from people. Right. And so we are working our butts off to make sure we always have enough money so that we don't have to tell a woman no. And I know, as you told me, once you dig in your heels, your heels are dug. My <laughs> heels are dug in for now, from now until the day I draw my last breath. I will not let Cricket's memory fade, nor will I let a woman go without something that she would need to help her feel more like a woman during this going down the, quote, dreaded breast cancer road, end quote. Bonnie, you are an extraordinary woman. I can't tell you how much I appreciate all that you're doing to make, I hate the, the, to use the crappy expression, but you know what I mean, to make lemonade from lemons. Right. There's nothing, there's no real other metaphor that I can use, but you are doing an amazing job. I'm like very, to the 10th power. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> been insane. So I can't thank you enough for making the time to be, be on the show with us tonight. God bless you and all that you do. Thank you so much, and okay. God bless both of you. Thank, thank you, Bonnie. Bonnie, Julius, everybody. Great show. That's, I mean, to go to go through that as a parent and to witness that, and then to take that and turn it into something good for other women, and uh, she well, says till she draws her last last. One breath. thing I will say that I'm very very happy at, 
the, the, it, she didn't go the research route. No. So many parents who have children that unfortunately pass away wind up raising money for research that ultimately doesn't benefit the child that lost their life. She is focusing on quality of life and value and purpose and dignity. Yes. That is so much more significant given the fact that it gets so little attention because everyone gives money to research. That's right. Quality of life. That's exactly what she's focusing on. So survivorship. So kudos to that. Rock on. All right, we got to go. It is time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks, that's tonight's show, our 183rd broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. All right, I'd like to thank our guests, Dory Plate, Adeline the Plate, and Bonnie Julius, live in our studio, the lovely Amanda Freeman and James Manning. Next week's show, all you, Lisa. It's Cancer Camps. We will be joined by Dave Smith, young adult cancer advocate, CEO of Special Love, Inc., Jeff Eaton, two-time young adult survivor, acute myeloid leukemia, and founder and executive director of the Young Adult Cancer Center, uh, Young Adult Cancer Canada, and in the Survivor Spotlight, many of you know her and love her, Anna Brower, young adult survivor, Hodgkin's lymphoma, and she's the chair of our I2Y Metro chapter. Alrighty, folks, if you have missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives anytime at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. Live from the Chemodex, on behalf of Lisa Bernard, myself, and our whole team here at I2Y, have a great week. Good night, everybody. Good night, folks. Good night.